Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. At the White House today, the President met with state governors, encouraging them to make good use of the billions in federal aid received this past year. Hours later, he welcomed Qatar's leader to discuss oil supply, Iran nuclear talks and Afghanistan. We have details on all of this coming up. Some musicians are following rock star Neil Young's lead, pulling their music from Spotify. They want Joe Rogan's podcast cancelled, and Spotify says it's making changes. A man convicted of molesting a 10-year-old girl receives a sentence to serve in juvie right alongside minors, including girls. And the district attorney of the case faces a recall effort. Los Angeles Councilman voices his support for the recall. The protest against vaccine mandates led by Canadian truckers continues. The country's Prime Minister says Canadians are shocked and disgusted with the actions of some protesters. Meanwhile, truckers blocking highway lanes in Alberta vow to stay put. And NBA star Ennis Cantor Freedom is calling on the Beijing Olympics the Medal of Shame. He's reminding Olympic athletes about the Chinese Communist Party's human rights abuses and says he hopes they can all take a stand for what's right. President Biden is balancing challenges at home and abroad. Today at the White House, he held two important meetings, one with our governors, encouraging them to make good use of the billions of federal aid given to the states this past year, and two, meeting with the leader of Qatar to discuss boosting gas supplies, Iran nuclear talks, and relations with Afghanistan. NTD's Melina Wisecup tells us what you need to know about those two meetings today. President Biden welcomed governors to the White House with the guidebook to help them tap into the infrastructure funding, urging them to make good use of the federal money sent to the states, while admitting that the list of challenges the country faces is piling high. Well, there's a lot of challenges out there that we're not even talking to directly today. There's so many, but the surge of gun violence since the start of this pandemic. I made it clear we should use these funds to combat violent crime as well. The president also told governors there's no reason why we can't keep our schools open. This is one area of common ground among the leaders. We heard from Republican Governor Hutchinson after the meeting. Uh, we need to move away from the pandemic and we asked the president to help give us clear guidelines on how we can return to a greater state of normality. Shortly after the governors left the White House, Biden welcomed another guest, Qatar's ruler. Qatar now represents America's interests in Afghanistan. After the Biden administration withdrew troops and closed the doors to the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. And uh, this past year, our partnership with Qatar uh, was, uh, has been uh, central to many of our most vital interest. We managed to evacuate tens of thousands of people of, of Afghanistan. And that discussion will continue this week. Qatar's leader will also meet with the Pentagon, the Department of Homeland Security and Congress. And another urgent topic, Russia. Today in the United Nations, uh, we've laid out the full nature of Russia's threat to Ukraine's sovereignty and the territorial integrity. So how is Qatar relevant to this effort? The country is one of the world's largest gas producers, and the U.S. is asking them to ramp up supply to help protect Europe from a gas shortage if Russia moves forward with an invasion.
But ramping up gas supply will be tough for Qatar because the country is already producing at full capacity, fulfilling contracts with Asia, and there's no excess supply. And to reflect the importance of the relationship between the two countries, President Biden today announced he will designate Qatar as a major non-NATO ally, a designation Biden says is long overdue. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Boeing landed a big order today, a $30 billion one from Qatar Airways, a huge win for the plane maker over its European rival Airbus. The companies announced the deal today at the White House, where President Biden is also meeting with the Emir of Qatar. Boeing says it's the largest order ever for its cargo planes. Qatar Airways is locked in a bitter dispute with European plane maker Airbus. Qatar complained about the paint jobs on Airbus's jets. Then Airbus cancelled Qatar's order for 50 jets, and now Boeing has swooped in to land the order. And the Food and Drug Administration has fully approved Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. It has been given to adults under emergency use authorization up until now. The approval makes it the second such vaccine alongside Pfizer's to receive the FDA's nod. Both vaccines are what are considered mRNA vaccinations. A key difference is Moderna has never been approved or authorized for people under 18 years old. Pfizer's shot is fully approved for anyone 16 and older and authorized for people as young as five years old. Moderna has named its vaccine Spikevax. Rock star Neil Young has pulled his music from Spotify. Several artists are now following his lead, trying to pressure Spotify into removing Joe Rogan from the platform. The company is making some changes, but it seems Rogan isn't going anywhere. NTD's Miguel Moreno has the update. Some musicians are pulling their tracks from Spotify in protest of the Joe Rogan Experience, the most popular podcast on the media streaming platform. Protesters such as Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and Nils Lofgren accuse Spotify of spreading deadly COVID-19 misinformation by allowing Rogan on the platform. The Swedish company's chief executive, Daniel Ek, now says that changes will be made, which might affect Rogan's podcast. In a public statement on Sunday, X said his company will add a content advisory to any podcast episode that includes a discussion about COVID-19. That advisory would direct listeners to Spotify's COVID-19 hub, which includes news from CNN, the BBC, and other mainstream networks. The new policy is set to roll out in the coming days. Sure, have that on there. I'm very happy with that. On Instagram, Rogan said he supports Spotify's decision. He also said that the misinformation controversy stems from his interviews with doctors Robert Malone and Peter McCullough. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Rogan says he isn't mad at Young and that he doesn't want musicians to leave the platform. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. A leaked video offers a window into the grievances of some U.S. Border Patrol agents. Some of them have a problem with the way the administration is handling the record-breaking torrent of border crossers. NTD's Miguel Moreno has that story. There's a mission out there to be... 
In this video obtained by the Washington Examiner, U.S. Border Patrol agents can be seen having a tense exchange with Chief Raul Ortiz last Friday. One of the agents accused federal policies of squandering their work at the border. For, for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Now, I can't hear you. For evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's exactly what's happening here. Good men are doing nothing. You're allowing the legal agents to be dropped off the community. You are. The agent might have been referring to a leaked video of alleged federal contractors dropping off illegal immigrants in New York. That video was published by the New York Post last Wednesday. Chief Ortiz tried reassuring the agent that they are doing something by taking drugs and criminals off the streets every day. According to the chief, morale is at an all-time low. Over 178,000 illegal immigrants were detained at the border last month. The Center for Immigration Studies says that's the highest number recorded for December in U.S. history. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Tensions are at an all-time high over the Ukraine-Russia crisis. The U.N. Security Council met today to get answers from Russia. Here's more on that story. The United States and Russia squared off on Monday in the U.N. Security Council. This after the U.S. called for an open meeting to discuss Russia's troop buildup on the Ukrainian border. The meeting went ahead despite objections from Russia and China. The test of Russia's good faith in the coming days and weeks is whether they will come to that table and stay at that table until we reach an understanding. If they refuse to do so, the world will know why and who is responsible. Russia denies its plans to launch an attack, accusing the West of stirring up tensions. You are almost calling for this. You want it to happen. Russia made a list of demands to NATO. The non-inclusion exception of Ukraine to NATO, the non-deployment in its territory of foreign troops. President Biden on Friday said the U.S. will soon send troops to Eastern European countries, but none to Ukraine. The Pentagon has placed about 8,500 troops on standby. On Capitol Hill, Democrat and Republican senators are pushing forward a deal on Russian sanctions. And we are committed jointly in a bipartisan way to defend Ukraine and to send uh, Putin a message. It'll be bloodly and consequential. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Russia's top diplomat will likely speak again this week in an attempt to defuse the crisis. Just four days before the Beijing Winter Olympics begins, NBA star Ennis Cantor Freedom joined Congressman Michael McCall in calling out the Chinese Communist Party. Freedom denounced the CCP for what he called their horrific human rights abuses. He also urged all athletes to stand up for their moral values. The CCP is successfully committing some of the most horrific crimes against humanity of our time. They are an enemy of freedom and democracy. Congressman Michael McCall said the Olympics are supposed to be the most prestigious sporting events in the world. But, he continued, the International Olympic Committee has sustained its reputation by turning a blind eye to the CCP's atrocities. The IOC allowing what I'm calling the genocide games to go forward is a stain on the Olympics. And I'm deeply disturbed that these games will take place in the shadow of concentration camps. NBA star Enos Cantor Freedom agreed with McCall for calling the Beijing Winter Olympics the genocide games and offered a designation of his own. He said the, the genocide games and I call it the medal of shame, you know. Uh, you know, all the gold medals in the world that you can win is not more important than your morals, your principles, principles and your uh, values. 
I feel like all the athletes need to stand up for something. Freedom says the athletes need to educate themselves and know where they're going. Listen, look what they did to their own tennis player, Peng Shui, right? Are we really going to trust with CCP with our own players? If your daughter, if your sister, if your wife was on those concentration camps in Xinjiang, would you still go to those games? Freedom has been outspoken in his criticism of human rights abuses in China. He responded to a request to visit China from former NBA star Yao Ming on social media. Freedom said he'd accept the invitation, but only if he gets to see the real China rather than propaganda. Congressman McCall and other Republican lawmakers sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken last week. They urged the State Department to inform American athletes before they compete about the full scope of the CCP's atrocities. The congressman also asked Blinken to explain what actions the State Department would take to protect American athletes who choose to exercise their freedom of speech during the Olympics. A 26-year-old man convicted of molesting a 10-year-old girl will not be serving his sentence in a prison. Instead, by actions of the Los Angeles District Attorney, the man will be serving his sentence in a juvenile hall for girls. 26-year-old James Tubbs was recently charged with molesting a preteen girl eight years ago. In 2014, then 17-year-old Tubbs walked into the bathroom of a restaurant, grabbed the child by the throat, shoved her into a bathroom stall, and assaulted her, the Los Angeles Times reported. DNA evidence recently connected him to the crime. Tubbs was convicted of sexually assaulting two girls in separate attacks. He confessed and pled guilty when confronted with the DNA evidence. He then adopted his new female identity. After Tubbs was taken into custody, he renamed himself Hannah. He is still anatomically male, having not undergone reassignment surgery. The prosecutor, L.A. District Attorney George Gascon, tried Tubbs as a juvenile. As a result, he will be sentenced to juvenile hall. Further, Tubbs will be housed not only with minors, but also females. California passed a law last year that allows convicted criminals to be housed in a facility based on the gender they claim to identify. The law came from the LGBT community, citing protection of inmates. Tubbs' case may be the first instance in the United States of an adult male convicted of sexual assault being housed with female juveniles. Angelians are gathering signatures for a recall of George Gascon. One Democratic councilman announced his endorsement of recalling Gascon, district attorney in California. Organizers of the recall claim that their district attorney has created a pro-criminal paradise. NTD's David Lamb reports. Today I'm endorsing the recall of District Attorney George Gascon. I normally don't believe in recalls, but what I'm seeing shocks the conscience so much that I can no longer remain silent. Boos Gaino, who's running for mayor this year, is a councilman for Los Angeles. His support for recalling the DA comes after a child molester was sentenced to juvenile hall with female minors, a case that the DA was prosecuting. Gascon issued a special directive in 2020, directing his prosecutors to seek dismissals of all charges related to three strikes, gun, gang, and other sentencing enhancements. He said the majority of those incarcerated belong to long disadvantaged groups. Buscaino, a former LAPD officer, said Gascon's policies have emboldened criminals and shunned victims' rights. Los Angeles has become a place where harassers have free reign, thieves operate without shame, and where homicides happen nearly every day. The DA's current term in office ends on December 2024. 
He claims the petition is a right-wing power grab supported by Trump backers and well-funded conservative operatives. According to the New York Post, Gascone was funded over $2.5 million by billionaire George Soros through a political action committee. California Governor Gavin Newsom says the state is moving to dismantle the United States' largest death row. The state plans to move current condemned inmates to other prisons. Governor Newsom suspended executions in 2019 and shut down the state's execution chamber at San Quentin Prison, north of San Francisco. His administration is now turning to a 2016 voter-approved initiative that allows inmates to be moved off death row. Since January 2020, corrections officials have moved 116 of the state's 673 condemned male inmates from San Quentin. They have been relocated to one of seven other maximum security prisons. Under the state's transfer program, condemned inmates moved to other prisons can be housed in solitary confinement if officials decide they cannot be safely housed with others. The last execution carried out in California was in 2006. And coming up, Chinese New Year is approaching, so NTD visits Manhattan's Chinatown, where many community leaders attended an event to welcome the Year of the Tiger. And in California, the governor is spotted maskless with other officials in large gatherings again. People are criticizing him and the officials who have been mandating masks. That and more on NTD News. The sun was shining on much of the East Coast today after a vicious nor'easter brought blizzard conditions to many areas over the weekend. NTD's Chenny Wu tells us more. The Northeast continues to face dangerous cold as it digs out of record snow from a bomb cyclone storm that sapped power from more than 100,000 customers in Massachusetts alone. The National Weather Service said the nor'easter's intensity, driven by a fast and steep drop in pressure, meant parts of some northeastern states saw snowfall records shattered Saturday. Highs across New England and parts of the mid-Atlantic are expected to remain below freezing Monday as electricity gets restored to fewer than 2,500 Massachusetts, New York and Pennsylvania customers still in the dark, according to PowerOutage.us. And the freezing temperatures Monday morning reached as far south as Florida, where locals saw that as the temperature dropped, so did frozen iguanas from trees. When it gets colder than 40 degrees Fahrenheit, the cold-blooded reptiles freeze and lose their grips on the trees. However, they're not dead and will start moving again as soon as they heat up. He fell right out the tree, and now he's trying to warm up. Air travel was also heavily impacted by the storm. More than 3,500 flights were halted Saturday, and another 1,500 flights in the U.S. were canceled Sunday, according to aviation tracker FlightAware.com. Chenny Wu, NTD News. The Chinese New Year is tomorrow, the start of the Year of the Tiger. NTD's Jason Perry attended a Lunar New Year event in Manhattan's Chinatown. Many community leaders were there for the celebration. The Chinese dragons started off the show in traditional style as they danced in front of hanging lettuce. This act of feeding lettuce to the dragons is said to scare away evil spirits and bring good luck and fortune. Meanwhile, a gentleman showed his calligraphy skills, another Chinese tradition. And if the calligraphy is placed on both sides of a door, it is said to ward off evil spirits. 
Then came the food. Everyone ate and listened to a singer perform traditional Chinese songs. The NYPD was also in attendance, and Deputy Inspector Paul Zangrilli explained how his relationship with the community in Chinatown helps the NYPD perform their jobs better. The partnership with the community, a community who protects each other, helps us with intelligence, speaks up when there's something wrong, that's why we're able to be successful at this. The president of the Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association, Justin Yu, also said that Chinatown was safe. We have police officer in the town. We're protected. We'll protect you. Guardian Angel here. We'll protect you. And we are welcome you. We are going to protect you as long as you spend your money. Thank you very much. The executive director of the Chinatown Partnership, which is working on a project with the New York City Department of Transportation, explained what the Chinese New Year means to him. And I think the spirit of being kind, empathetic, love one another, uh, and celebrating together, sharing food together. Others at the event shared their New Year greetings. And I'm here as the Manhattan Borough President to offer my full support to this community and wishing everyone a happy new year. Stay healthy and best of the luck. People at the event want everyone to know that with the help of the NYPD, visitors and tourists are safe in Chinatown and have a happy year of the tiger. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. California's governor and other officials were spotted maskless at the NFL official championships. The trending topic was filled with criticism against him, along with debate on mask mandates. NTD's Eileen Ang has more on the story. People are calling out Governor Gavin Newsom for not wearing his mask again, this time at the official championships at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles on Sunday. Magic Johnson was also present, maskless with the governor. The former basketball player was also with San Francisco Mayor London Breed and Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. At a press conference, Newsom said, I was very judicious yesterday, uh, very judicious, and you'll see the photo that I did take um, where Magic was kind enough, generous enough to ask me for a photograph, and in my left hand's the mask, and I took a photo. He said he had his mask on the rest of the time except for a drink of water. In an Instagram post, Riverside County Sheriff Chad Bianco said to end the mandates, calling them hypocritical elites. He said this is also why he won't enforce mandates on residents of Riverside County. Last week, the Los Angeles County Public Health Director said people going to the Super Bowl on February 13th must wear KN95 masks while at the SoFi Stadium, unless they are eating or drinking. Last September, Mayor London Braid was spotted clubbing maskless in San Francisco. In 2020, Newsom and Breed were seen dining indoors maskless at the French Laundry when restrictions and mandates were most strict. Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. The Super Bowl matchup is all set with the Los Angeles Rams taking on the surprising Cincinnati Bengals. NTD's Dave Martin takes a look back at how it came down to these two teams. This year's Super Bowl will be the first time in nine years that the NFL's biggest game doesn't include Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, or Patrick Mahomes. Instead, we may be witnessing the beginning of a brilliant quarterback's career in Joe Burrow, while LA's Matt Stafford showed what he could do with a talented cast around him. Burrow was the new Joe Cool and leading his team back from an 18-point deficit. But the real story is how the Chiefs fell apart after blowing a prime chance to score at the end of the first half. 
with a first and goal at the one-yard line and nine seconds left, and Kansas City with no timeouts. Mahomes wisely threw the ball away on first down. But on second down, was off target on a side pass to Tyreek Hill, who caught it but was tackled inbounds as time ran out, and the Chiefs ended up with a wasted opportunity. The second half saw Mahomes and the Chiefs offense sputter while Cincinnati kept making plays. Kansas City woke at the end of regulation to force a tie, but even winning the all-important coin toss to start overtime didn't help as Mahomes looked shaky before finally getting picked off. Meanwhile, the Rams finally solved the 49ers after San Francisco had beaten their division rivals six times in a row. The Rams defense, now featuring a tremendous pass rush with Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller, was the difference on the final drive, forcing Jimmy Garoppolo into a bad throw. Their reward is playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium, the second straight team to get to do that. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Young ski jumpers in a suburb of Chicago are training alongside Olympic-level athletes and coaches. While Chicago is not known for its hills, a glacier has helped create a unique environment to allow world-class-level ski jump training. NTD's Jason Blair has more. My name is Julia and I have four and what I want to do here as I want to ski jump. It's not far-fetched to suggest one or more of these young jumpers may land in the Olympics someday. The hill that the Norgi Ski Club uses has been a home for the sport since 1905. Three men will represent the club for a second straight Winter Olympics. Like other kids, they started off on smaller hills and worked their way up to a 70-meter hill that gives Olympic hopefuls a chance to live their dreams. Um, do the 10 meter, and the 10 is like fast. Yeah. Guy Larson is the chairman of the Norgi Ski Training Center and father of two-time ski jump Olympian Casey Larson. He says it's a very exciting thing for the young kids to look up and know that we have athletes from this club who are competing all over the world. You know, you don't have to be from a mountain town uh, to become a great ski jumper. Former Norgi Ski Club jumpers Kevin Bickner and Casey Larson will become two-time Olympians at the Beijing Games, and Patrick Gassianica earned a spot for the first time this year. I think the funnest part's probably to fly. There are 31 jumping clubs in 12 states spanning from Alaska to New Hampshire. Though it is a niche sport for Americans, the Norgi Ski Club produces world-class competitors. Jason Blair, NTD News. Rafael Nadal's Australian Open title yesterday gave him a record 21st Grand Slam win. So where does that put him in the greatest of all time debate? NTD's Dave Martin breaks it down. Nadal is now one Grand Slam win ahead of Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer for the most all-time. But that's only one part of the debate over who's the greatest. Nadal has the most overall major wins, but with 13 coming on the clay courts at the French Open and just eight combined at the other three, his major's resume is the most lopsided of the trio. Djokovic has nine Australian Open championships, six Wimbledons, three U.S. Opens, and two at Roland Garros. Federer has just won at the French, but five U.S. Opens, six Australian Opens, and eight coming on the grass courts of Wimbledon. The 40-year-old Federer's 1,251 career wins are just 24 behind Jimmy Connors for the most all-time, while Nadal, five years younger than Federer, is fourth, and Djokovic, a year behind Nadal, is number five. But Djokovic and Nadal have a slightly higher winning percentage than Federer's 82%. Federer is also second all-time in singles titles with 103, which is six behind Connors, while Nadal is fourth and Djokovic fifth. 
As for number of weeks, ranked as the ATP's number one player, Djokovic has the most now with 358, breaking Federer's record of 310 last March, while Nadal is back in sixth. If head-to-head -head battles are the measure, Djokovic again has the edge with a winning record over both Federer and Nadal. Nadal, though, has a commanding lead against Federer, giving the Fed a losing record against the other two. Nadal may have more Grand Slam wins, but Djokovic can still make a case for having the better overall resume, while the injured Federer faces an uphill battle to add to his. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, for the third year in a row, some Chinese residents can't go home to celebrate the Lunar New Year with their families. That's due to Beijing's severe pandemic prevention controls. And the UK Parliament announces the toughest sanction regime against Russia that the UK has ever had should it invade Ukraine. That and more after the break. Have an update on the Freedom Convoy in Canada. The majority of protesters are now in the nation's capital outside Parliament Hill. They say they will stay there until the government lifts vaccine mandates and all other pandemic restrictions. NTD's Grace Coulter has the latest. The truckers' Freedom Convoy protesting pandemic mandates arrived in Canada's capital city of Ottawa Saturday. Two days later, the vast majority of demonstrators are still there, and the truckers are saying they won't leave until all mandates are lifted. Many protesting truckers are also parked outside the city centre behind police blockades, unable to enter. Meanwhile, in Alberta, truckers blocking the highway along the Alberta-Montana border have vowed to remain in place. This despite facing fines upwards of $10,000 and jail time. Amidst the standoff with police, which began Sunday, the protesters opened up one lane of traffic Monday afternoon. According to Rebel News, whose reporters are on the scene, this is to allow locals, school buses and emergency vehicles to access the border. The truckers also say any protesters who don't want to face fines or jail are free to go. We're going to open up that lane and anybody that wants to leave can leave and anybody that wants to stay can stay. So this way, you know, it's, it's all about freedom, right? Earlier on Monday, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau denounced some behaviours observed during Sunday's protest outside Parliament Hill. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly disgusted by the behaviour displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. Trudeau is currently working remotely while he recovers from a COVID infection. When asked why he won't meet with the protesters, Trudeau said he's chosen not to go anywhere near protests that have expressed hateful rhetoric and violence towards their fellow citizens. He added that he's met with the likes of Black Lives Matter protesters in the past because he supports their goals and concerns. But a number of protesters have said they're hurt by Trudeau's comments and say they think the Prime Minister and the media are trying to smear their movement. 
While loud and disruptive, police over the weekend said the protest in Ottawa was peaceful. Some participants were documenting the protest to show the nature of the event. How's it been down here? Uh, nothing but good. People are super good. The truckers have been uh, having a good time. They've been getting their point across. And you know what? It's a beautiful city that we're in, and uh, they can't ignore all of this. Protesters were also seen cleaning the Terry Fox Memorial after it was reportedly covered with anti-vaccine mandate material. A couple of people were spotted holding Confederate flags Sunday, but they were widely condemned by protesters, as seen here in this video. Uh, now he's going, now he's gone. We called him out, he knows. Demonstrators told NTD that the protest is about unity. You can see that there is a lots of energy here. I didn't see any negative sign. I see the people giving food, giving hug, giving love, giving banana, hot coffee, and everything to each other. This kind of unity, this kind of solidarity is inspiring. Many protesters said they feel the government and the media are trying to cause division in the country. But they said the unity surrounding the protest is giving them hope. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Thousands of Europeans took to the streets again on the weekend in opposition to their government's COVID restrictions. In Vienna, over 10,000 protested against the Austrian government's vaccine mandate, which passed in Parliament earlier this month. From Tuesday, every adult Austrian resident needs to get a COVID shot unless they're exempt. And from March, police will carry out random checks. Offenders face a fine. Protesters carried a large banner through the capital reading, you can't force two and a half million, referring to estimates last November of how many were not vaccinated. In neighboring Germany, thousands in Nuremberg voiced their opposition to following in Austria's footsteps. The German parliament last week started to debate a vaccine mandate. The chancellor is in favor, but the coalition parties are divided on the issue. People brought signs saying things like, I'm not a guinea pig for the pharmaceuticals industry. Several thousand also took to the streets of Brussels and Paris in opposition to their government's vaccine passes, calling them discriminatory and excessive. Tuesday marks the start of the Lunar New Year. Across Asia, it's a time for family reunions and some of the year's most celebrated festivals. But severe pandemic prevention measures are blocking some Chinese families from getting together for the third year in a row. The Omicron variant has reached dozens of Chinese cities and authorities are holding firm to Beijing's so-called zero-tolerance policy. It aims to completely climate COVID-19 in the country, a plan virtually all other nations have abandoned. Despite the pandemic, China's biggest holiday of the year is drawing near, the Lunar New Year. But related comments from a mayor in Henan province recently triggered public outrage as many gear up for a week-long vacation and travel plans. Anyone who comes back from an area deemed medium to high risk of infection, regardless of vaccination status or whether you have a negative test from within 48 hours, as long as you come back, you'll first be quarantined and then detained. The mayor described the prospect of going back home to visit family as malicious. And the comment isn't an isolated case. Some have started sharing related experiences through Chinese social media site Weibo. One of them is high school student from Henan province who attends a boarding school in another city. She says she had to get tested for the virus a whopping 18 times before she was granted permission to leave school and travel home. All of those 18 tests came back negative. On her way home, she was stopped by workers at a pandemic prevention booth. 
She and her mother, who had come to pick her up, were told they couldn't go home. That evening, they were forced to endure heavy snow and winter conditions for nine hours. That's before a school's bus arrived the following morning to take the student back to her boarding school. These pandemic prevention booths have popped up across China. People traveling through the area are subject to searches of their person and their vehicles. Afterward, workers decide whether they're allowed to continue on or get sent back home. A number of students have reported facing similar situations. A handful were lucky enough to get home before the latest virus wave broke out. But for at least one student, even that wasn't enough. To protect her identity, we've distorted her voice. You may have seen it on social media sites like Weibo. Many of us reported that after we got off airplanes, our IDs were taken away and we were transported away for centralized quarantine. No distinction or differentiation, just a one-size-fits-all policy. When Hao Hao got back to Harbin City from Beijing, both regions were clear of local virus cases. Later in mid-January, Beijing reported an infection had been found in the city. And even though Hao Hao had already left, she was forced to quarantine in Harbin. I was told not to go out starting the 16th and to quarantine at home for seven days. My door was sealed with tape. Then I was told to prepare for isolation in a quarantine center for 14 days and that I have to pay to stay there out of my own pocket. Canada-based Chinese lawyer Lai Jinping gave his take on the measures. He described the aggressive rules as an inevitable result of the Chinese Communist Party's rigid system. For the top leaders, they only tell the local authorities to get something done. They don't care how it's done. For the lower officials, they have to take a one-size-fits-all approach and ignore all exceptions to ensure they can fulfill the top leader's requirements. And on each level, they add more aggressive measures. So when it gets to the lowest level authorities, there's no room whatsoever for any exceptions. For some Chinese citizens, this marks the third year they've been blocked from visiting family for the Lunar New Year. Coming up, the UK Parliament announces the toughest sanction regime against Russia the UK has ever had, should it invade Ukraine. And the Ukrainian president is calling it a mistake that the UK and the US pulled their diplomats out of his country. He says Western media coverage of Russia's potential invasion is contributing to panic. That and more here on NTD News. UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss laid out plans for tougher sanctions on Russia should it invade Ukraine. Under the proposed legislation, the assets of those in and around the Kremlin would be frozen and they would be blocked from entering the UK. Truss called this the toughest sanction regime against Russia the UK has ever had and said nothing is off the table. This report comes from NTD's Kostamenez. The government says it will introduce new legislation this week to broaden the scope of sanctions it can apply to Russia in an effort to deter aggression towards Ukraine. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss set out the plans to MPs. Today, I am setting out our readiness to act. We will be laying legislation before the House that will significantly strengthen our hand in dealing with Russia's aggressive action towards Ukraine. It will go further than ever before. Previously, only companies with a direct involvement in destabilizing Ukraine could be targeted. Under the new plans, that would now be widened and could include Russian financial institutions, energy companies and oligarchs close to the Kremlin. This will be the toughest sanction regime against Russia we have ever had. 
and it is the most radical departure in approach since leaving the European Union. Those in and around the Kremlin will have nowhere to hide. She didn't rule out the new powers could include the ability to seize property in London. Their assets in the UK will be frozen. No UK business or individual would be able to transact with them. And should they seek to the, enter the UK, they would be turned back. While visiting Hungary, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace said it was important to defuse the Ukraine-Russia crisis as a war would not only mean human casualties, but also lead to a wider fallout. You know, I think it is clear that we all are in agreement that we don't want instability, uh, we don't want war uh, in the East, uh, we don't want casualties, we don't want migrant flows, we don't want high fuel prices and food prices, which would inevitably follow from any actions. Politico reports that some business leaders fear a Russian invasion of Ukraine could spark a food crisis in Britain, as Ukraine is becoming a significant exporter of cereal products and chicken to the UK. The Foreign Secretary and Prime Minister Boris Johnson are set to visit Kiev on Tuesday for crisis talks with the Ukrainian president. Kostemenes, NTD News. The Ukrainian leader said that there were no tanks on the streets of Kiev and that diplomats should not have been evacuated. President Zelensky criticized Western countries and media for excessively highlighting the risk of a large-scale war with Russia. This report comes from NTD's Eddie Aitken. The Ukrainian president sought to play down fears of a war between his country and Russia. He compared the current troop buildup with the drills Russia held in early 2021. That's when Moscow began amassing troops on the border between the two nations. At that time, the US and our European friends urged Russia to withdraw troops. I do not think that the situation is worse now than it was at the peak of those drills. He said Western politicians and media are excessively highlighting the risk of a large-scale war, creating panic in the country. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, US President Joe Biden, and other leaders have for weeks spoken about what they say is a credible and urgent threat of a new Russian invasion. Zelensky said politicians and the media should get their information directly. If they want to understand the situation, let them come to Kiev. Are tanks driving here on our streets? No, but it feels like this. If you're not here, then you feel like this. The Ukrainian government is concerned about the economic fallout. The repeated warnings have prompted many investors in the country's financial markets to cash out. Kiev is calling for three and a half billion pounds in aid from friendly countries and institutions. Zelensky criticized the US and UK for starting to evacuate diplomats and their families from Kiev. In my opinion, this is a mistake because those are signals of how the world reacts. He spoke after Russian President Vladimir Putin said the US and NATO had not addressed the Kremlin's main security demands regarding Ukraine. Moscow said it was ready to keep talking. Meanwhile, students in Kiev attended emergency drills after a slew of hoax bomb threats had forced the evacuation of schools in several Ukrainian cities. The Ukrainian security service said it recorded more than 300 false bomb threats in January compared to 1,100 in the whole of 2021. Ukrainian authorities blame Russia for the increase of hoax bomb threats, saying it's part of a hybrid warfare. 
Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Portugal's Socialist Party won their third straight general election on Sunday. The Populist Party Chega took third place for the first time since its inception in 2019. People who tested positive for COVID-19 were allowed to cast their ballot at restricted times to remain separate from other voters. NTD's Joy Dugood brings us this report. Sunday's general election in Portugal saw the country's Socialist Party, led by Prime Minister Antonio Costa, secure a third victory. It is with deep emotion that I take on this responsibility that the Portuguese have trusted in me today. The Social Democrats, the country's main opposition party, came in second place. Portuguese populist Chega took third place. Chega prometeu. Chega made a promise and fulfilled it. We are the third political force in Portugal. The third political force in Portugal. The party was founded less than three years ago and collected around 7% of the vote. Chega may now have a dozen lawmakers, up from only one in the last parliament. People infected with COVID-19 were allowed to cast their ballot in the election after officials struggled to square the right to vote with the duty to protect public health. Around 600,000 people were allowed to vote in person during a restricted time slot as an exceptional measure to the country's COVID rules. Joy Dugid, NTD News. Up next, we'll take a look at an exhibition in Paris that showcases traditional Chinese paintings. Many pieces portray the spiritual side of China's history and culture. And in Russia, man and dog teamed up for a dog sled race that took place over the weekend. That and more in just a moment here on NTD News. Over 800 years, the ancient Chinese believed immortals dwelt in the mountains. Now, these mystical places draw many who aspire to find peace through meditation. An exhibition in Paris called Painting Apart from the World celebrates the artists who've painted these famous mountains. NTD's France correspondent David Vives took a look. It is believed in Chinese tradition that on the top of the Huang Mountain, the father of the Chinese civilization, the Yellow Emperor, discovered the immortality pills 5,000 years ago. These century-old scrolls are testimonies of Chinese history and its legends. This exhibition in Sonyuski Museum is entitled Apart from the World Paintings. It features more than 100 masterpieces from painters and poets from the Ming and the Qing dynasty. These mountains were named after the Yellow Emperor. This was believed to be the divinity that founded the Chinese civilization. They were astounded by the beauty of nature. The painters gave a name to each mountain, each rock, each river. The most common theme in the paintings was the aspiration for a secluded life, far away from the city, with a dwelling at the foot of a mountain, or at the edge of a lake or forest. Sometimes we barely see any human presence in the landscape. Maybe a small hut or a bridge. Here besides me, you see a young boy studying his book. He has only a modest place in the painting. But maybe the boy's thought echoes with the beauty of this garden and the landscape behind. 
The painting and calligraphy are from the Ming Dynasty and the Qing Dynasty, a period spanning from 1300 to 1911. The transition between the two dynasties, and especially the invasion of Manchu people, upset the Chinese nobility. Many people from the elite returned in the mountains and forests seeking refuge, and painters told their stories. Here's the tale of Wang Zantian in the middle of the 17th century. During the dynasty transition, he was, like many others, upset with the political situation. He lived in the east of China, at Suzhou, while his father lived in the west. He had no news from his parents and decided to walk 4,000 miles to join his parents, which he succeeded to do. Lefebvre says the paintings reflect the integrity and loyalty of the noble, who aspired to find their roots. Some Chinese found the mountains play host to meditation and spiritual practices, and that achieving the Tao through meditation allowed men access to divine powers, including immortality. This was mentioned in the poem that accompanies the paintings. Here's one on the Huang Mountains. Even if the doors of heavens are obstructed by the clouds, the palaces of immortals are all on the edge of the celestial way. Myriads of aligned peaks earnestly prostrate themselves before the throne that rises at the center. The collection is called the Cello Lo, or Pavilion of Perfect Bliss. This stands for the joy that is born from contemplation and from doing good deeds for others. It's open to the public in Paris until the 6th of March, when it will return to the Hong Kong Museum of Arts. David Ives, NTD News, Paris. Dogs and their owners have been racing through the snow in this Yaroslavl region of Russia. That's where dozens of athletes and their four-legged friends took part in dog sled races over the weekend. NTD's Cheni Wu brings us the details. Not just man's best friend, but also man's best teammate. Dogs and humans are competing together at Russia's Faminsky Paws dog sled races. 37 athletes from all over the country are taking part. For the participants, this is the time to show off their serious preparation. Dogs train all year long. That is, they have summer training and winter training for the different distances. Everything is like it is with real athletes. They have their own schedule and training for each race and for each distance. Between one and six dogs pulls each person on sleds or skis. Any breed can take part in the competition, but Siberian Huskies are the most popular. The route this year is one kilometer shorter than last year, but with more surprises for the runners. The seven-kilometer route runs partially along river ice and ends with the most difficult part of the track called the switch. As the organizers say, the finish, of course, is the highlight. And it truly is the highlight. It's not called the switch for nothing. One of the first prize winners is Anna Zalyeva. I'm happy with the result. I liked the race. The track is interesting and very dynamic at times, so I had to work hard. <laughs> this is the fifth time this dog sledding event has taken place. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.